Uh, we will start with the piano solo uh, at five bars before nine, because uh, the piano has a solo lasting about two minutes, which we will not waste time with now. Five bars before nine, scene one. That's George Gershwin at the piano, leading a rehearsal of Porgy and Bess in July 1935, just a few months before the world premiere. He's singing at the piano as he plays the opening bars. Hello, I'm Marilyn Cooley with this National Philharmonic introduction to Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Gershwin aspired to write the first American opera from very early in his career, although Porgy and Bess only came to the stage two years before Gershwin's early death from a brain tumor, a few months short of his 39th birthday. In fact, he was determined to help create a true American music, a goal that Antonin Dvorak pursued in the late 19th century, when he was the music director of the National Conservatory of Music in New York. Both composers believed that American music needed to take into account the musical traditions of black Americans. As for the first American opera, 30 years before Porgy and Bess, the ragtime king Scott Joplin composed his opera, Tremonitia, in part to establish himself as a serious composer. Another example of an attempt to collaborate music born on American soil and adopted European traditions was The Experiment in Modern Music, in which band leader Paul Whiteman, in February 1924, invited a classical crowd to what he called a purely educational musical event. He hoped it would be a stepping stone, which will make it very simple for the masses to understand and therefore enjoy symphony and opera. The highlight of the evening was the premiere, with George Gershwin at the piano, of Rhapsody in Blue. In the audience, by the way, were John Philip Sousa, Sergei Rachmaninoff, Leopold Stokowski, Fritz Kreisler, and Yasha Heifetz. Porky and Bess has prompted discussions of race from the very beginning. Even before the piece was completed, it looked as if the Metropolitan Opera might give the first production. But the Met was segregated until Marian Anderson became the first African-American soloist there two decades later, in 1955. Both Gershwin and librettist Dubose Hayward insisted that in Porgy and Bess there would be no white singers in blackface. So the Met's first production of Porgy and Bess was only in 1985. Even at its premiere, there were complaints about appropriation, stereotyping, and disrespect for the African-American experience. During the first American civil rights era and its immediate aftermath, the opera was generally seen as blatantly racist. In 1976, the Houston Opera production had trouble finding interested performers. Grace Bumbry was Bess in the 1985 Metropolitan Opera production, and she said this, I thought it was beneath me. I felt I had worked far too hard, that we had come far too far to have to retrogress to 1935. My way of dealing with it was to see that it was really a piece of Americana, of American history, whether we liked it or not. Whether I sing it or not, it was still going to be there. Over time, the opera, or as the composer called it, folk opera, has come to be seen by many, although by no means all, in this light. 
The opera is based on a 1925 novel by the white writer DuBose Hayward. Titled Porgy, it's the story of the crippled beggar's life in the tenements of Charleston. Hayward, by the way, was a descendant of Thomas Hayward, Jr., a signer of the Declaration of Independence. DuBose is credited as the librettist and wrote the first act, including Summertime. George's older brother Ira was brought in for his experience writing Broadway lyrics, and they collaborated on the remainder of the opera. They're often credited as co-lyricists. By the time Hayward and Gershman were creating the opera, the story had become Porgy and Bess, which, for one thing, Gershwin loved for its following in the tradition of opera couples such as Peleus and Melisande, Samson and Delilah, and, of course, Tristan and Isolde. Gershwin visited Hayward in Charleston in the summer of 1934, and together they did cultural research by living for five weeks in a cottage on Folly Island, a Gullah community ten miles from Charleston, immersing themselves in the local culture and language. One night they attended a prayer meeting and were swept up in the tradition called shouting, in which spirituals were chanted with rhythmic accompaniment by the hands and feet. Gershwin ended up participating with the best of them, and later Hayward commented, I think he's probably the only white man in America who could have done it. Summertime may be the most iconic tune from the opera, and it's the first one we hear, developing right out of the introduction. Clara sings the lullaby to her baby, and for our concert, soprano Nagwanda Noble sings this beautiful tune. For this podcast, we're hearing selections from a historic 1963 recording of highlights from the 1952 touring cast. Residents of Catfish Row are gathering for a game of craps, and Clara's husband, the fisherman Jake, tries to get the baby to sleep with his own version of a lullaby, A Woman is a Sometime Thing, sung in our concert by Edward Pleasant, who sang this role on a live from Lincoln Center broadcast. Listen to your daddy warn you, for you start a traveling. A woman may warn you, love you, and mourn. Crown, sung in our concert by baritone Michael Redding, is a bullying stevedore and blusters into the scene with his woman Bess, who is disdained by the other women in the group. Crown is drinking and buys some happy dust from Sportin' Life, the local drug dealer. Violence erupts when Crown accuses another player of cheating, and after a fight, Robbins lies dead. Crown flees, telling Bess to fend for herself until he returns for her. In scene two, 
A wake for Robbins is being held in his room, and his wife Serena is collecting money for his burial. Here, the National Philharmonic Chorale and members of the Duke Ellington School of the Arts Concert Choir sing about Robin's death and the status of the collection. Soprano Andy Marie Moore is our Serena in the lament, My Man's Gone Now. In Act Two, the fishermen prepare to head out, despite the danger of storms. This gives Porgy, now in love with Bess, his famous, I got plenty of nothing. Oh, I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. I got no car, I got no mule, I got no misery. The folks with plenty of plenty got a lock on the door. Somebody's gonna rob him while he's out for making more. What for? Our Porgy in this National Philharmonic concert staging of Porgy and Bess is Washington favorite Kevin Days. Kevin's been in love with this part since his student days at Juilliard and has performed it over a hundred times all over the world. He will join Marlissa Hudson for the most famous duet from the opera, Bess, You Is My Woman Now. Marlissa, by the way, has worked with conductor Stan Engbretson since her first job out of grad school and is eagerly looking forward to sharing the stage with Kevin Days and all the other performers in this concert. intermission, Act 2 continues with Scene 2, a picnic on Kittawa Island. And here is Sportin' Life's big moment when he scorns the Bible stories being discussed. It'll be a treat to see and hear tenor Chauncey Packer, for whom this is a signature role. It ain't necessarily so It ain't necessarily so The things that you like Bible, it ain't necessarily so. Little David was small, but oh my. Little David was small, but oh my. What did he do? He bought me Goliath. By the way, in this historic recording, we're listening to John Williams Sublet, a vaudeville performer and tap dancer, stage named John Bubbles, who was George Gershwin's personal choice to play the part of Sportin' Life in the premiere of Porgy and Bess. Ira Gershwin shines with some of his most memorable lyrics. Only he could write of Jonah, for he made his home in that fish's abdomen. Oh, Jonah, he lived in the whale. By the way, there is an additional, rarely heard verse that was written in case an encore was needed. It goes like this. Way back in 5000 B.C., old Adam and Eve had to flee. 
Sure, they did that deed in the Garden of Eden, but why chastise you and me? So, after the crowd has left, Crown suddenly bursts out from some bushes and grabs Bess, who protests that she is now Porgy's girl. A week later, Bess is in Porgy's room with a fever and in fear of Crown. Porgy comforts her and promises to protect her. Then the hurricane comes, and the fishermen are out in the weather. Hymns are sung in Serena's room as they pray for the fishermen's safe return, when Crown, who has swum over from the island where they had the picnic, pounds on the door and bursts in, terrorizing the group and mocking their fear. He claims Bess and throws Porgy aside as he defends her. Suddenly, Clara screams that she sees Jake's boat, upside down, float past on the river. She hands her baby to Bess and runs out into the storm. Bess calls for a man to follow Clara, and Crown, after taunting Porgy, does so. Act two ends with the group once again praying for mercy in the hurricane. Act three begins with the mourning for those who died in the storm, including Clara and Jake. Bess sings summertime to soothe the baby. Sport and life mocks the mourners who believe Crown is among the dead. But he's not, and he sneaks into Porgy's room where, following a fight, Porgy kills Crown. Porgy is arrested and taken to jail. Now Sport and life tries to tempt Bess with stories of the life they could have together in New York. There's a boat that's leaving soon for New York. Come with me. That's where we belong. Sister, you and me can spend the high life in New York. Come. Porgy's released from jail, where he's beat all his cellmates at craps and now he's rich. But he can't find Bess, and he learns that she has gone to New York with Sportin' Life. As the group explains that Bess has gone north with Sportin' Life, Porgy is determined to find her, and the opera closes as he begins his journey.
Seven Days is Porgy and Marlissa Hudson is Bess, when the National Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorale and members of the Duke Ellington School of the Arts Concert Choir, conducted by Stan Engebretson, present a concert performance of Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. You can find out more at nationalphilharmonic.org. And I'm Marilyn Cooley, with this National Philharmonic introduction to Gershwin's folk opera Porgy and Bess. <laughs> ¶¶ 